Hey, everybody, and welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring feminist work in Chicago theater. My name is Myra Yon, and I hope you are having a lovely summer. I am. I've been working on season two, recording, editing, promoting, hustling, all of those good things. Um, season two will be coming out in the fall. Right now, I want to share an episode from last year that was so much fun to record. And also, I feel like a really important episode. Um, I got the chance to sit down with Lori Myers and Laura T. Fisher about Not In Our House, the collective started by these two women in response to some pretty terrible abuses happening at Profiles Theater here in Chicago. If you're not familiar with Chicago theater, Laura and Lori do a really great job of explaining what went on, but we will also have links to some articles on the show page. So here it is, uh, Laura T. Fisher and Lori Myers discussing Not In Our House. Lori and Laura, thanks so much for being here. Thanks Thank for, for having, having us. us. How long have you guys lived and worked in Chicago? For 7,000 years. <laughs> really? Before the dinosaurs. Or even before that. <laughs> Lori's incredibly accurate on that. Uh, I've been here since 81. Um, and when I started going to college, grew up in the suburbs. So, uh, and I, I never left. So I've been here all that time. How has it uh, changed since then? How is the There's more people. It's more of a destination city. There's uh, bigger institutions. Um, you know, there was no Chicago Shakespeare then. There was no Looking Glass then. Mm -hmm. There was no, uh, you know, Steppenwolf was, they were still in a church, <laughs> I think, in 1981 or, you know, shortly before that. Was there indoor plumbing back then? No. Or electricity? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was different. It was it, it was Lori Myers wasn't here in, in back then. I don't even remember. I was born here, and okay. I left, and then I came back, and I don't know, like the nineties. <laughs> Have you seen any changes, or is it same old Chicago? Yeah, it's not as funky as it used to be. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of small companies have closed. You don't feel that new companies are opening? I feel like it's a constant tide. I don't know. I'm so old and out of touch that it could be happening and I would have so much dementia that I would barely <laughs> notice it. I think it's happening, Lori. My dementia? Yes. <laughs> or the or the new theaters. Yes. Both, both my dementia I'm and, and the new you. theaters are yeah. equivalent and they're rising. Yeah, I mean, there's also the whole uh, presence of on-camera work here like never before now, which is also attracting more actors and a different kind of actor, better looking actors. I'm not happy about that. More craft, crafts, food services. More craft food services. <laughs> For a moment, I thought you were speaking of the craft of acting. Yeah. No. We never did no. about that. <laughs> what about the kinds of stuff that Not In Our House is addressing? Have you seen like changes in sort of the atmosphere for women or protections oh, for actors? yeah. I mean, in terms of the dialogue that's been created for Not In Our House and the conversations that Not In Our House has started, it's been... Uh, outstanding. Uh, the dialogue goes on from the moment I think a lot of practitioners walk into the door of any theater now. I think that it's a dialogue that's been started all over the country. But you're also talking to us after Donald Trump has been elected. And um, I think it's really important to say that I think now more than ever, the issues that are raised in Not In Our House, as far as uh, the equal rights of women are even more at stake. I think even more... Um, dialogue is going to be necessary to raise awareness about uh, the, the issues that we're going to face. The whole premise of Not In Our House began with an action movement. And the action movement um, was in a, in a reaction to the, the behaviors that have been um, rumored and have 
since been disclosed in the reader article for Profiles Theater. So that was, I think it's important to state that Not In Our House is sort of an action-oriented movement, and the Code of Conduct is this very wonderful, incredible product that comes from that. So just kind of going with, um, you know, how we started out, we have three tiers. So the support group and pro bono legal service, pro bono psychology and um, psychological services, sliding scale services. Um, we also do educational talks. We hope in the future to have some kind of green dot training, bystander training, what you do when some, what, what to do when something is happening in the moment. And then finally working with Actors' Equity to try to create language change surrounding sexual harassment and discrimination, intimidation, and bullying within our equity contracts. So it's been very important to me that I worked for two years to get onto the CAT contract committee, which was very difficult because I'm a troublemaker. And um, it was poo-pooed a little bit, but I'm finally on the CAT contract committee to be able to give input to uh, try to help uh, come to the bargaining table in 2018, which will be a long process. But I think I think that we can start to examine what is lacking from our contracts in terms of definitions. Okay. The uh, the Canadian Actors' Equity contract is um, really beautiful in the sense that it actually defines what sexual harassment is, it defines what discrimination is, and it defines what happens if you violate this. We, we kind of believe, we agree that um, the 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 equity contracts in the states and the the equity rules uh very much underrepresent sexual harassment as mm, it's very antiquated language well i don't even know if there's any language it's non existent there's something like as an in terms of a nudity code and that's in a pamphlet when you want to join up equity yeah. it's in a media like a like a marketing pamphlet whatsoever so we hope to come to the bargaining table um, by the year 2018. We hope to come to the bargaining table and present something that will be able to be uh, representative of something that we would like to see in equity contracts. I want to go back and ask you about the initial response to the thing you posted on Facebook. I actually have it here. Um, did you anticipate the kind no, of response that you got not at all is it overwhelming mm -hmm. no i came home from uh, samsara at victory gardens i came home from a rehearsal where a cast member had explained to me and this was the fourth time within two months that i'd heard a story about daryl cox so i just slammed my fist on the table and i was like why is this guy still around why is he still doing this stuff and um I went home and I was like, what would you do if there was a sexual predator working in your community? Would you let your sister or daughter or mother work in this kind of environment? I had no idea. I made it very abstract and very, very vague. And I had 175 comments. I had about 200 messages. And that was very tricky because I didn't know how to, I, I at that point legally could not answer anything. Um, so we had to keep it incredibly vague and general, but I had no idea whatsoever that it would amount to the movement that it created. So how did that start? How did you go from getting all these responses to organizing people? I'm very um, problem solving oriented. So I am very organized and driven to if there's a problem, I'd like to fix it. So I was like, fuck this shit. We need to mobilize. If this has happened in the theater community, is there a way to support the immediate survivors of something like this? Whether or not it was at Profiles Theater, but is this happening in our community to create a support around those survivors, men and women? What kind of code can we live by? to live up to one another that is a self 
self-governing doc governing document. The first idea was to mobilize and have a panel discussion to come together with the community to the people who had responded so passionately. Okay, well, here's your chance to talk out about this. What's what's happening with this? Um, so yeah, the anguish yeah, and the, anger that we're feeling anger. in our country right now mm -hmm. was sort of what was being felt in the community, right? Because of so troublemaker quiet. Lori Myers. It was so silent for so long, and I think that pe people yeah. were really fed up. And and I think we had a lot of response also from the improv and comedy community. We had a lot of participants yeah. that day um, at that panel discussion a couple of years ago that were from the comedy community. We're like, this is happening here too. How do we mobilize? So, and it wasn't just Daryl Cox. It was no that you know any environment it doesn't matter if it's theater or a law office or a stockbroker's office mm -hmm. an IT community wherever that there wherever there is a big disparity of power mm -hmm. abuses exist sometimes it's sexual and sometimes it's other kinds of abuses right it seems to have become more intersectional it obviously started you were specifically interested in um women suffering the abuses of men in power um, and, and it's not men. just women and, and men. No, men, yeah. and men. It's and not men. a gendered issue, actually. I mean, it's well, it's become very, very, or maybe it always was very inclusive. I was interested, and in, did you get a lot of stories from um, more marginalized groups or people who felt marginalized for other reasons? I would say uh, the gay community. Why aren't you examining men more? Why aren't mm. Why aren't you looking in terms of like when we are sexually harassed as men? Um, so right away, we had to become more cognizant of that. Um, I've heard three stories of women abusing, sexually abusing men on mm -hmm. stage. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. we can't make decisions about who is always the, the targeted party because it does shift. Mm -hmm. I want to ask a little bit about the other cities and people all over the country that have been reaching out to you. Is that overwhelming? Do you, how do you make time to? At first it was. There's been so many waves of responses because we had been sort of waiting for the reader article to come out in terms of specific actions to take. Um, we had thought that the reader article was going to come out a lot sooner than it did. So we had all these waves of like the Facebook thing came out and then we had our panel discussion. So there'd be waves and waves of the feedback, but the major feedback came probably after our first panel discussion, after our first code of conduct rollout back in April. And then I would say lastly, with the reader article coming out, it was a flood. Yeah, we didn't know. I mean, what we did know was that when when um, when a person speaks to a newspaper and they say this happened to me, they're making a legal statement. Um, it must be truthful. They must be they must be willing to stand behind it in court. And so I think it's good information for anyone <laughs> to know when they're speaking to a newspaper. It's best to also make a statement with an attorney, so that you are protected from any kind of legal response to your statement in a newspaper. And so we also knew there was nothing that we could legally do or say about Profiles Theater unless there was something on a legal record, mm -hmm. which was why we had to wait for the mm -hmm. reader article to come out. Now, we didn't know that the landlord was going to pull the lease. We didn't know mm -hmm. that the whole thing was a house of cards ready to come down. And we didn't have any kind of influence over that. I mean, we had this whole plan um, that I was not spearheading, but there was a whole plan of actions to take after the reader article came out because then we could make a 
a public letter and have people sign it to say, we would like for the board to be aware to address these allegations. It turned out we didn't have to do any of that. Six days later. Yeah, they were closed. That was based on like an entire legal team of the reader who were remarkable Mm -hmm. in doing incredible fact checking with the survivors of what happened at Profiles Theater. One of the products of Not In Our House is the Chicago Code of Conduct, although it might soon be called something else. The name, just like the rest of the document, is still basically in beta testing. Right now, about 20 pilot theaters are putting the code into practice, testing it out with their seasons and meeting regularly to discuss what works and what doesn't. The whole point of it is to provide preventions for abuses, aggressions, bullying, and then when things do happen, a communication pathway for response. So I feel like we did not predict how necessary the code would become, but now it feels incredibly necessary mm-hmm. and and potentially resonant for other kinds of spaces that maybe aren't about creating art. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I mean, sexual harassment has just been an epidemic in our society and all over the world for centuries. But we spoke to it because this is what we know about. We're, we have been very active in the community. We've had long, successful careers in theater. And it came time that a, a certain individual was, um, it was coming to light that this kind of behavior was continuing for far too long. But I think that it's not that sexual harassment never existed outside of theater or in any other realm in the universe. It was that this is the universe that we know. So this is what we could speak to and this is what we could approach. But I want to toss, I mean, since we're talking about it, I want to just toss in that one of the things that we talked about really early on with the code is is what it is. It's not the police of Chicago theater. It's not a regulatory body. It's not an outside um, assessment society. Um, there's no dues. There's nobody pays any money. It's it's sort of a documented set of agreements and awarenesses to help theaters out. And we talked, I like the third day we started talking about this, or maybe before mm-hmm. it even had a name, uh, we articulated it as a cultural paradigm shift in our spaces um, where the theater gets to determine for itself what the rules in its house are. This is a tool for self-regulation, for self-governing. That, that any theater can use for their space. Um, so one of the things that was a little intimidating about the process is nobody wanted to A, make theaters a litigious environment. And so anything in the document that used strict legal language um, would invite lawsuits. We, or even corporatize like a lot it, there was a lot of discussion yeah. like well we don't want to run this like a corporation we don't want this to be li- like a business that it, as in a corporation so we had to be very aware yeah to not to not compartmentalize in that kind of way yeah yeah so we we kind of made a firm decision that we're going to avoid all of those kinds of things we're not going to wait for the police or for lawyers we're going to give theaters a tool that they can use to determine um, how to how to work better within their spaces, yeah, like self governance. Yeah, mm-hmm. this may be presumptuous of me, but that feels like such a Chicago approach. In the same way that 
and maybe I'm wrong, but I can't imagine, you know, L.A. or New York having town hall meetings about issues well, the way that Chicago theater does. But I, I do think it is a very Chicago thing to kind of the whole sense, the whole idea behind like the Chicago theater community or the Chicago theater community being a family unit, um, I think was very inherent from day one in in uh, founding Not in Our House or starting the Code of Conduct. I think it's like Chicago Code of Conduct or what it would, whatever it will be called has has to have <laughs> Chicago in its name because mm -hmm. it's inherent in the process and it's inherent in the the sort of sense of community and the advocacy that you can look to one another as brothers and sisters and be able to pull together as a unit. I think that's very intrinsic to Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make any kind of value judgment about any other community. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm not going to say you it should. in a mic. And not on the Chicago's record. Chicago's the best. Chicago's the best. <laughs> it um, is. We won the World Series. Can we talk we about that? And, and we're the best, like, we have the best theater community. I don't know how things were done in other cities. Like, ten, I was telling you, tonight at 9 o'clock, I'm going to talk with um, a group of about 20 theaters in Los Angeles over Skype. They're inspired by what we've done, and they want to talk about uh, using the document in the theaters in Los Angeles. Uh, this 25-page document, um, which is sort of chronologically organized from season selection time all the way through strike, and has recommendations and guidelines that go through all of those uh, points in the process of a production they can see if the document that we have is a document that will work for them or if they're going to seek to adapt it a bit for their environment. So we'll we'll see how that goes. I think so the thing is, what the code is doing is very similar to what any business does when they say, here's the rules for our business. What you do at your own house when you have a party you say, yay booze, no drugs, no smoking in my house. You have rules. And the the it's not to say that non-equity theaters are this sort of crazy, lawless environment. Yes, they are. Okay, Lori. So they are like the crazy ruleless Wild West. Well, they can be they if can be. uninformed or un you know, people who are not well intentioned come together around a project. Mm -hmm. That's it just gives guidelines. It gives a the basic humanity guidelines of yeah, what you need to look out for or think about. Most people in these theater spaces have gone to college. They've learned about how things are supposed to go in their classrooms or from their colleagues. Um, but there's uh, that is true. But on the other side of the coin, it's also true that the, the people that Lori and I have talked to for nearly two years now often will say the same thing when some kind of abuse happens. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they'll say that, but they'll also say, particularly if they were young, mm -hmm. they will say, I just thought this was the way it went. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that there was anything I could do. I didn't know who to talk to. So obviously it became very focused what the problem was. The problem was awareness, education, and communication. And the thing is, what this document has, this 25-page document, are not these radical new ideas that don't exist in other spaces. They are things that most of us already know. But now they're documented so that anybody can look at them and say, oh, I see, mm -hmm. this is the way it's supposed to go. So even if you're not, if you're, if you're an actor 
or designer or other kind of theater participant, and you are working in a theater that doesn't use this document, you can read the document and say, wow, they are way off the mark. And so you'll have an opportunity to decide for yourself, do I want to work for this organization again? Do I want to stick with this organization but try to help them up their game? When I open my own theater company, do I want to adopt these kinds of guidelines so that we get off on the right foot? On, dare I say, a more traditional foot of how to do things in a, in a safe and respectful way. Can I ask, what are some of the things in the code of conduct? Like, what are some examples of things that you feel are essential for keeping a space, a theater space? Well, safe? we have, so there's um, such simple things as the dressing room and certain things that need to be addressed within the dressing room. Um, there's audition, the audition process. Um, there is. In the auditions, um, there's. A, a large element about disclosure. So you show up to an audition and they have to tell you what the expectations are of the role you're going to play. So, for example, I mean, nudity is like the big thing. You have to disclose it. You have to tell people if, if the role that you're auditioning for, if the production, even if it's devised, which means you make it up in rehearsal, as I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. um, the, the producer has to tell you if that is in the scope of artistic interest, if nudity is in the scope of artistic interest. Mm -hmm. um, and if they don't tell you, and then you accept that part, and then they ask you, you can say, no, you didn't disclose it. Mm -hmm. We didn't agree to that. Mm -hmm. Right. There's also, um, it's, it's not, um, there have been misconceptions that it's been modeled after our equity contracts, but that's kind of a misnomer. There are some things maybe borrowed it from our best practices, but there's also something that we have is um, the NED, which is the non-equity deputy, which we're hoping that non-equity theaters will try to employ the use of the NED, the non-equity deputy. So that's something sort of new that's been added or introduced to non-equity theaters in, in the code of conduct. So the non-equity deputy's role is really to serve a purpose to be a liaison between the cast and the governing body or the the sort of uh, the staff or administration where they can bring a complaint path to and do it in an anonymous fashion so that the person who's making the complaint is not uh, sort of considered a whistleblower or some kind of uh, you know, keeping a certain anonymity so there can be an autonomy within the cast. An another thing that is in the code that that is not really in other theater documents um, is the idea of brokering consent for sexual content before it's engaged in in rehearsal. And actually, sexual content and nudity is a whole section in the document because that's where a lot of uh, gray areas are at for performing artists. Um, that's where things can be handled quite differently from director to director, environment to environment. So to have sort of standard practices and um, I think can help everybody feel more safe so that they can actually take more risk. Because in my experience, the safer an actor feels, the farther they will go. It's when they feel threatened or when they feel like they're not in a supported environment that they tend to clamp down um, 
and not be able to do as much. Those of us who who participate in theater arts know what happens when there is uh, violent content on stage. We know how it's supposed to go. There is a, a fight choreographer, and they um, run that rehearsal, and they check in with everybody's <clears throat> abilities, and then they show everybody how to do things safely. They ensure that people are going to repeat that choreography to the letter. So fights should look real, but they're not actually real. The stage manager has documentation of every move they make. For every performance, they have a fight call and they practice that. And everybody who does theater, who might be listening to this, knows all of this. And then whenever anybody goes off script, everybody has a pathway to respond to it, to say, Oh, maybe we got, you can say it in very nice ways. Maybe we got confused, maybe, but we got off script and we have to get back on script. But if I took out the term fight call and I put in the words sexual content, none of that happens Mm. or very little of it happens. We're trying to create a parity between those two high risk theater endeavors that they're treated in a similar way. You know, consent, documentation, follow-up, and a, and a call before the performance. And so in sexual content, um, where there are gray areas, if somebody gets emotionally confused in the playing of a scene, if they get um, carried away, or if they get inappropriate, it doesn't matter. When you have documentation, <clears throat> any participant can simply say, I think we got off script tonight. Can we go back and look at the choreography so that we can get back on choreography for the next performance? There's been a lot of kind of discussion or concern of, well, is this going to ruin the magic of theater? Does this ruin the magic of a moment? It's not like you are in a trance when you're doing these scenes. Right. You shouldn't be in a trance when you're doing these scenes. And when you talk about magic or something. Ask well, a dancer if choreography right. kills chemistry. Right. It doesn't. Because you know the te- you kn- you're knowing the technique and you're living within the moment of yeah. the technique. And it's written down. Just like lines. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just like and it's a choreography. Direction. Just like being in your light. Right. And we've had also a lot of conversations about, well, what qualifies a fight choreographer? Mm-hmm. Or what qualifies a, a sexual choreographer? Now, we never prescribe anything in the code of conduct to say, you have to do A, B, and C, or you're a bad person. You're a bad <laughs> company. But I think by having this kind of guideline, there is a safety net. And then the other piece uh, that we did w- touch on before is disclosures, which is to say a company can do anything they want. We don't have, we don't state any opinions about content, about casting. We're not trying to prescribe what people do. We're just trying to protect the people who do it. So you can have everybody naked. You can have, you know, let them spank each other all night. We really don't care. With monkeys. With monkeys. Spank the monkey with the artichoke. But tell everybody you're going to do it. Yes. Let them know. Disclose. Uh, And so throughout the code, there are examples of what one might have to disclose. Things like, how many hours are you going to rehearse right. a week? In the agreements, mm-hmm. you're, you are expected to strike the set. Great, fine, just let me know. So if you have an agreement between two two persons, it's like 
these are the dates that we're going to rehearse. This is the time from this time to this time that we're going to rehearse. This is how long the show will run. There might be a possible extension. Very basics that are just at a very basic level. But in terms of like kind of creating a communal document or a living document, we can all kind of agree that this is the human thing to do to mm -hmm. make sure we're not staying at a theater till one in the morning. And um, it doesn't cost anybody no, anything, it doesn't cost to, anything. to do that. This is totally free. What are your, if, do you have any concrete hopes for this code? Like it's yes. an ever evolving oh, yeah. thing, but what is like the, like your dream in five years? For I'll give you code? my dream in less than one year. Okay. To complete the document so that it is usable by anyone who would like to, all they have to do is go to the website, notinourhouse.org, follow the prompts. They can read the document that is online right now, and they can start um, using the guidelines today. So we don't have to wait for uh, guidepost goals even a month out. People can start, uh, artists, high schoolers, college folks, anybody can go read the document right now to up their game in terms of their awareness about how things can go in their spaces and how they should be treated and what they might do should they encounter something that is abusive. My next goal is to go to the TCG conference in Portland, which is next August, I think, um, and have a national platform to roll this document out, this document that is totally free, that no one needs to do anything about but say, um, we are adopting this and and take the ethical and honor uh honorable position to to adopt all of its contents so that's my goal what about you Lori? my goal for the code of conduct <laughs> yeah it's really exciting i think it's really exciting right now that the companies have taken a lot more ownership immediately what i'd like to be working on is like how to use this? How do we use this? How do we make it user friendly? How do we have a like a short script that you can use very definitively, but um, in a user friendly fashion? And how do you describe that in two or three sentences for each code? So that's sort of what I'm trying to focus on in these next couple of weeks before the next meeting. But I think all these goals can be met. I think it has is a very strong draft. Um, I think it's been very well thought out. We've had hundreds of hours of conversations between me and Laura and the company. So I'm very excited. I'm very positive and confident that it will be uh, very well received in the community. Thank you, ladies, so, Thank so you. much Thanks for, for having us. To me. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks to Lori and Laura for sitting down and talking with me. Um, if you want to learn more about Not In Our House, we will have links to their website as well as some articles on our show page. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and spielchicago.com. That's S-P-I-E-L Chicago at gmail.com. Um, you can email us with questions, comments, or rants. And be sure to join us in the fall for season two. I've got a lot of really amazing guests coming up, and I'm super excited to share them with you. All right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your summer, and see you at the theater.